Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Len. Thank you. My name is Len. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jenny. That's my niece in Chicago. She listens. She told me she heard me on the podcast. I also can't swear. Um, This has not been an easy week for me. Uh, Let me tell you, first of all, that if I live to next May 11th, I'll be 86 years old. Uh, If I live to... uh, March 23rd, I'll have 25 years of abstinence. If I live to February 23rd, I'll have been around OA for 40 years. And I'm reminded of one side book, Chuck C., to speak at an OA function. And he came out and he said, I've been sober for 40 years. Nobody here has been here 40 years, and you don't know whether I'm drunk or sober. (laughs) And I think that's probably... uh, true of me. Every time I do that, I run into somebody who was at Beverly Hills High School on February 23rd, 1976. But I see people here. I know a lot of people here for a long time very well, but nobody that long. Uh, It's been a very tough week for me. Wednesday night, I sent an email to a friend saying I'm sick. And he sent me an email back which said, well, we get a chance to work on all those things we learned at OA Boot Camp about acceptance. Notice how funny everybody thinks this is. (laughs) On Wednesday morning, my wife said to me, I feel like I have uh, a loved one has died unexpectedly. And I said, that's puts it pretty well. Uh, I had breakfast. I have pretty much every day I have a half a cup of oatmeal with berries and a glass of skim milk. And about a half an hour later, I wanted more breakfast. Now, I've been doing this for 25 years, and uh, I know when I want to have more breakfast, I've got things to work on and to worry about. So I sat down and started to work, and what have you? A, expectations, right? Boy, did I have expectations. Expectations get you in trouble. Fear? Oh, what was I afraid to lose that I had? What was I afraid of not getting that I want? Well, I was afraid I was going to lose my Social Security, my Medicare, uh, maybe even my citizenship. I have a grandfather who was born in New York in 1875. I figured they'd send us all back, you know. <laughs> Um, I had trusted the pundits. The pundits betrayed me, made me look bad in conversations with friends, had me practice all of my character defects. But writing, sharing, talking to people. Um, Somebody said a long time ago, you can make amends. You can um, ask to get rid of your character defects, 
doesn't mean you have to like it, right? You work through your resentments, doesn't mean you have to like it. So, here I am, working through my resentments, learning to like it. My wife said to me, oh, and Hillary said something very interesting in the concession speech. She said, listen to him with an open mind. Well, isn't this what program is all about? Having an open mind? Someone explained to me back in 1976, the definition of an open mind is just listening and thinking you might be right. That's all it takes to be open-minded. It's to say, this person over here, whatever they're talking about, might be right. Where it goes from there is another story, but they might be right. Anyway, so that's been my week so far. I didn't have more breakfast any one of these days. The feelings are subsiding. I'm getting to meetings. I talk to my sponsor. Anyway, what else do you want to talk about? So... Uh, I earned my seat in OA. I, 1954, got out of the military. My parents welcomed me back home to our little apartment in White Plains, New York, said, you're fat as a pig. Sent me to a diet doctor, put me on speed, lasted about 14 years. Uh, when that wore out, blew back up again. Um, went to shot doctor, went to shot doctors in both New York and in California. And the only difference between the shot doctor in New York and the shot doctor in Los Angeles is one has Broadway star pictures on the wall, the other has movie star pictures on the wall. <laughs> other than that, we're putting the same thing in the same place. And these things all worked. They all worked until the wrong guy got elected president or... Uh, something or else happened that makes some woman turn me down or whatever it was that made me want to eat. On uh, February 23rd was right after Washington's birthday. I'd gone to Vegas for the weekend with a girl, with a soon-to-be former girlfriend. It was a terrible, <laughs> terrible day. I was doing probably about 300 pounds at the time. And uh, I said, it's time to do something about it. And I started looking for... Uh, places to uh, go, which club to join, which what to, whatever, etc. I will tell you that a month before that, I bumped into my binge buddy. We both met at the same food truck. We worked near each other. And he said, you see that woman over there? I said, yeah. He said, she lost 100 pounds in something called Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, I, I knew from 12-step programs. I had other members of the family in other 12-step programs, and I figured it was some place where somebody comes and get drunk together rather than eat or whatever it was. I don't know. But I kept that in mind. And on February 23rd, I was going to do something about it, and I got a letter. And the letter was from my brother. And he said, if you're ever going to take your head out of your ass, <coughs> I'm not allowed to swear, if you're going to stop being in denial. <laughs> Did that one? Yeah. Uh, you might try Overeaters Anonymous. It's supposed to be pretty good. So I found out, got on the phone. In those days, we did learn the telephone. And I found out that Overeaters Anonymous 
World Service was on Motor Avenue in Palms. You didn't know that, did you? Live in Palms? No. Uh, to those who are recording, it's a very lovely woman in the first row. Smiled when I said Palms. It was on Motor Avenue in Palms. I lived on Vinton Avenue in Palms, one block away. Now, I had a problem my whole life carrying lunch to school. Other kids got to go home for lunch for school. I always carried a brown bag. And that used to piss me off. Whatever. So, when I called up to find out where the meeting was, I found out they didn't have meetings. They just sold literature. You know, The meetings were nearest meeting that night was a newcomer's meeting at Beverly Hills High School. It's up on the third floor in the uh, faculty dining room. And I walked into this room and there were slows of people. There were 70, 80 people at the newcomer's meeting. It was really very crowded. And some woman handed me a copy of uh, How It Works to Read. I was trained as a radio announcer. Greatest sight reading you ever heard in your life. And I read it, etc., and I kept talking about God as I understand him. God as I understand him. And then the newcomer, the woman leading the newcomer's meeting, told her story, and then she did whatever it did in the newcomer's meeting. And afterwards, I came over to her and I said, what is this God shit? <laughs> in case you were wondering how spiritual I was at the time. And she had a good answer for me. She said, don't let this drive you away. There's recovery here. Look at these people. There are people here who used to weigh 100, 150 pounds more than they weigh. There are people who used to live with their heads down the toilet, etc. They don't do this anymore. And so, I invested the greatest dime in my life and bought a gray sheet. Gray sheet was the food plant. It was a wonderful time in OA. You were either a gray sheeter or a moderate mealer. And uh, that's what they called them, ladies. There were fist fights about it. Trust me. People still have resentments 40 years later. What are you nodding your head? All right. Anyway. So here I was, eating next to nothing overnight because I was pretty good dieting. And pretty girls were saying, please call me. That was always very, very encouraging. <laughs> And I started to uh, diet. People were talking about their sponsor. You've got to get a sponsor. They didn't stand up and raise their name and announce each other. You just, they, they did write sponsor in the sign-in book. And I figured the secretary of the meeting was a big shot, so I asked him to be my secretary. And this perhaps was a hint to me that there was a power greater than myself because it was a very, very good idea. It turned out to be I heard lots of things. This guy used to say some interesting things to him. Say, what's the matter with you? I said, I'm miserable. The, the, the uh, bill collectors are calling me on the telephone and won't let me sleep. And he said to me, you know, people who pay their bills don't get calls from bill collectors. <laughs> and, simple when you get to it, huh? Um, anyway, about Three, four months later, he said to me, uh, you know, you're going to work the steps. Oh. He says, do you own a big book? 
I said, the big book is six and a quarter. I don't have uh, I don't have funds available at the moment. I went fishing that weekend. I got in a poker game on the fishing boat, won six dollars and twenty-five cents. <laughs> and I bought my first big book, that six twenty-five. I considered it my first my first miracle. Anyway. I got into service very quickly. I remember my my sponsor was the secretary of the meeting giving me a shot. My hand went up and all of a sudden I was the newcomer secretary meeting. It just happened that quickly. And anybody who's been a meeting secretary knows that when you book speakers, you generally book people you've heard, people you enjoy speaking, people you respect their program. And sometimes somebody says, why don't you get her? She's very good. So I knew a guy who used to end up having dinner quite a few times, and I asked this guy, his name was Bill A., not Bill B., Bill A., to lead the meeting, and uh, he claimed he was a 100-pounder, and that's fine. And he uh, started to lead the newcomers' meeting, and he said, all you people are here and Overeaters Anonymous looking for a miracle, looking for a recovery. I'm telling you, they're selling you a bill of goods. That's what the guy said. This is what he pitched. He said, they're selling you a bill of goods. And I saw everybody looking at me. <laughs> and I got that feeling that anyone who's ever been a secretary who books a speaker who says, by the way, I broke my abstinence last night, but it, I learned so much, you know. Everybody looks at you, you know, and saying, what are you trying to do? There are newcomers here. You're trying to kill the program. You're trying to this and so <laughs> However, open-mindedness. He said, they're trying to tell you that there's pie in the sky and that God will do this and that God will do that, and etc. And I hadn't thought about Bill in 40 years since Diane asked me to speak. And why this came to me, I don't know. This particular night that this happened, because I thought about it. They are selling me a bill of goods. They're telling me that if I come to believe that there's a power greater than myself... He will restore me to sanity. That if I make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of this power greater than myself, all I'm going to get is that I put down my knife and fork three times a day. I am not a guy who was used to putting down his knife and fork three times a day. I am compulsive. My mother bawled me out when I was seven years old for being late to school and said if I were ever late again, she'd kill me and I'm a half hour early for everything. And, uh, excuse me, I was only 20 minutes early today, right? Um, so, what was I talking about? <laughs> that I'm, hmm? Yeah, no, I'm past that. <laughs> hmm? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're listening. <laughs> Roy, you don't have to give them a test later. They're listening. Um, anyway, and here I had accepted this bill of goods, and it's the greatest bargain I ever got in my life. Remember, I spent 10 cents on a gray sheet, and I got abstinence. I got abstinence. I got a friend who kept me out of jail, who gave me advice and direction 
eventually heard all of my I'm trying to get the word oh, I've got a book here it's got a memory yeah I got a friend who uh, heard the exact nature of all my wrongs didn't cost me a dime cost me 20 minutes I bought him a cup of coffee as a courtesy but this bill of goods that this guy said turned out to be the greatest thing that ever happened in my life I firmly believe and the reason I tell everybody that I'm 85 years old going to be 86 85 and a half Friday the reason I tell everybody that is because our family looks younger than we are and everybody is etc but I firmly believe that I would not be here and not be alive had I not found over years anonymous learned how I was destroying my life learned how I was making bad decisions learned that my character defects turned me into the nicest guy in the world and I'm still here. I'm still here and I'm grateful. Uh, what else do I want? I don't know if I got anything else I want to talk about. So, uh, oh, good God. Um, um, so, anyway, I don't know whatever happened to Bill. I don't know whatever happened to Bill A. I know. We both used to eat at a restaurant called Shep's, which was over on Pico, isn't long gone. It's a knitting store now. And the waitress said to me once, he cheats. I said, I don't want to know. But he, you don't eat desserts. He eats desserts. <laughs> well, after a while, it became obvious that he was eating desserts. But he started... <laughs> All of a sudden, the hundred pounds he had lost were, were being found again. I talked about service. I've done a lot of service in a way. I'm, I'm the fault of the, all the announcements about the birthday party. I was on the board back in 1979 when we kicked around a fundraiser. I was chairman of the first birthday party. After that, I started to write shows for the birthday party. I, a guy named Richie was writing the shows and Richie didn't want to do anymore and I remembered I'd taken a playwriting course back at NYU in the year of the flood and I wrote a play and being chairman of the birthday party I saw that it was selected and I did a play. And uh, that first year that I wrote this play uh, a woman called up and said she wanted to be on the committee. She had some experience, etc., and she ended up editing my uh, play and uh, was the assistant director when we packaged it. And um, let's see, this is what, next, next August we'll be together 34 years. So service has, has its rewards sometimes. Um, but the other part of doing this is that every year when I introduce the play, I would always talk, I would dedicate it to someone who had been in the past, a year before, two years before, three years before, who had died. Yeah, died of guess what? Found him dead on the toilet. 
on the floor next to the toilet bowl had just thrown up and died. Somebody who weighed 400 pounds used to weigh 300 pounds, or used to weigh 200 pounds, had died. Greatest friend I ever made in Norway was a guy named Murray, he used to come to this meeting. Murray was a... Anybody know the word mensch? Yeah. Please mention it to the person next to you who doesn't know what it means. Actually, a mensch is a person. It's an honorable person. Murray was a mensch. Murray lived in Long Beach. If you lived in Reseda and wanted to come to this meeting, he would drive up there, get you, and take you here, etc. Murray came in. He had weighed almost 700 pounds. He'd gotten down to 300, got himself married, put it back on again, and one day didn't... Sat down in the chair and didn't get up out of the chair. And I know so many stories like this. And there must be a reason why I'm still here with my goddamn 85-year-old bad memory still telling these stories about these people. Because this isn't losing 16 pounds to put in a dress for your cousin's bar mitzvah. This is life. You're right. Uh, there are a couple of people here who were at a meeting I was at on Wednesday. And the speaker read something that I'm going to read because it, it just moved me. It just moved me. I'm sure I heard it a hundred times before. It's on page 450 of a book called Alcoholics Anonymous, 4th edition. Then I realized I had to separate my sobriety from everything else that was going on in my life. No matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't drink. In fact, none of these things that I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life flow endlessly for better or worse, both good and bad, and I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Sobriety must live on its own. So my heart goes out to anybody who got yelled at by the boss and bought three times what they usually buy off the food truck or whatever it might be along the way. But of these things that we ate over, how many of them went away? The pain may have gone away for a couple of minutes, but then the next time you saw this person, maybe you had the pain again. Resentments, resending, somebody told me a long time ago, keeps coming, keeps coming. So, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making any sense. I'm wandering all over the place. I was here once and somebody spoke for 20 minutes. They had birthdays all night. (laughs) Page 558. This is my sponsor's favorite, favorite, favorite line. Especially if you say, oh, I didn't get the job. Oh, he this. Oh, she that. He didn't call. She called. Whatever it might be. (laughs) The doctor said she's pregnant. All right. We are taught to differentiate, 559, we are taught to differentiate between our wants, which are never satisfied, and our needs, which are always provided for. We cast off the burdens of the past and the anxieties of the future as we begin to live in the present one day at a time. We are granted the serenity to accept the things we cannot change and thus lose our quickness to anger and our sensitivity to criticism. Just the other day, I tried to get my wife 
Should read that. <laughs> anyway, um, what can I tell you? I've been around 40 years. I've seen, I've seen women get up at a meeting and cry that they're never going to meet the guy of their life. They're never going to meet a soulmate. They're never this. They're never going to that. Thirteen years later, I'm at their kids' bar mitzvah. It just seems to work that way. Not for everybody, but it happens a lot. Or I get to their wedding or whatever. I, I don't know. It's been an interesting life. It's been an interesting, interesting life. I'm retired. been retired a long time. Became an actor after I retired. I haven't been in a show since <coughs> April. Uh, strangely, they put me in the part of Grandpa. <laughs> which my granddaughter thought was good casting. But what do I know? Um, I go to school. I go to Emeritus College. I study creative writing. I've got short story. Anybody wants to publish a book of short stories, I'm willing to talk about it. Um, and and I get to a couple of meetings. I generally get to the Tuesday uh, 1 o'clock step study in Santa Monica. Lately, I've been seeing my dentist at the same time. It's a great meeting because you get to see Lucy there. Um, and, um, and I'm at Serenity Sunday. And um, what can I say? I abstain. Do I eat sugar? Yeah, if it's the fifth, third, whatever it might be on the list. Um, there's a lot of things I don't eat. I had a, I had a friend, a lovable soul. She used to say she was redefining her abstinence every every uh, every day, every whatever. She was redefining her abstinence. And I said, if I could redefine my abstinence, I'd have 40 years. <laughs> instead of the 25 which when I started with my current sponsor he suggested that I start over just because I pick up about 60 pounds but I I, you know, I don't know about relapse right now. so I take a couple of pills to keep me alive one has to be half an hour before breakfast the other one is at breakfast guess what I do between one pill and the other pill I meditate isn't that amazing how that works out? How do I meditate? I'm not into Eastern religions. I do not recite mantras. I shut up. I shut up. I turn off the world. I don't meditate while watching television. I don't meditate. I have meditated in the shower and I meditate when I walk, which is my exercise. I walk. And so I meditate. I call my sponsor every morning when something has happened the night before and I've got pages and pages of guilt or complaints or crying or whatever it is. I will discuss it with him. He's very interesting. He's got this tough, tough problem. He believes we're all human. Humans get angry. Humans get annoyed. Humans get impatient. But it's what we do with it. Because, again, I've never eaten anything when I was impatient, and the impatience went away, or it moved the time up. 
if I was a half an hour early, and when I was a half an hour early before I came to program, I used to spread, don't, don't even think about it, but God bless you. If I make it, I'll be dribbling. Um, she held up a ten minutes fine. Um, meditating, eating, patience, right. That, you know, nothing, again, that I do gets my result if I'm not eating one of my three meals and snack a day. So, I don't know. I'm alive. I'm grateful. My son is married to a woman they met in program. My granddaughter is not in program. She's graduating from high school this year. Yeah? Yeah, she was that big, remember? And um, my life's pretty good. My life is pretty good. Um, If it were the way I wanted... We might have a different president-elect, so I don't get everything that I want. Maybe I get, don't get to handle everything I do. Um, I mentioned that at my first meeting, I asked, what is this God shit? And the concept of higher power was explained to me thusly. Why don't you go over to Santa Monica and tell the ocean to stop? <clears throat> and... I went over to Santa Monica, and I said, okay, Ocean, stop. Stopped. I was right again. No, it didn't stop. Um, I'm losing it. Uh, So they told me, act as if. Act as if. This person has recovery. This person has recovery. This person had recovery. They believe in a power greater than themselves. Use that as evidence that this power greater than yourself, that there is a power greater than yourself. I still don't know if it's a big whiskered guy sitting on a throne throwing lightning bolts or whatever. I just know it ain't me. I just know it ain't me. And I know that things that seem to happen like once in a while it rains around here or that it's hot or that it's cold or when I wear shorts it's cold and when I wear long pants it's hot I don't know I don't get to make those things and do those things and yet those are the things that enable me to put down the knife and the fork I don't think I'm rambling any questions any questions any questions What? Uh, do, you, do you still use the gray sheet, or do you, how do you define that? No, I'm, I'm not into gray sheet. I, I, uh, if they still use the term, you could say I was a moderate mealer. Well, a lot more things that I don't eat than I do eat. And as I get older, I'm eating less, and I taste less, and I smell less, and <laughs> what can I tell you? But I do tell my sponsor every morning what I'm eating, and I do my damnness to make sure that's what I'm eating. He says smaller portion. <laughs> Anyone else? Covered everything? Yes. Thanks, Glenn. Um, so besides the meditating, what is your uh, you have a morning routine? What does that look like? 
My morning routine? Oh, I, I get up and I meditate and I eat my breakfast. And I don't believe in telling you how humble I am, how much humility I have. But my definition of humility is that I feed the cat before I eat breakfast. Uh, and then I get out and I do my thing. If anything is bothering me and it's letting me know, that's when I get out a pencil and a pen and I start doing it before, before I speak to my sponsor. Uh, she referred to the first 15 years and I, I was in OA and did I have difficulty getting abstinence in the first 15 years and what I would say to people who did. No, I was abstaining. I was abstaining. I ended up in a weight-gaining abstinence until it was determined to me that it was a weight-gaining. It was not a matter of eating all over the place. It was a matter of eating huge meals, which I gained weight. And then I um, started to do exercise, started to do everything, etc. Mind you, at this point, I was in my 60s already, so it was whatever. Anyway, when someone, I have a sponsor, I live in a time where when you call me, your telephone number comes up on my television, you know, does anybody know? <laughs> so, when I see a 909, I know it's going to be Jack. And he always greets me with, Len, I'm into the sugar. Now, there were times in my life when I would say, don't call me anymore, or please don't bother me, or whatever it is. I'm older and kinder and mellower. I say, you know you could put sugar in your abstinence, and then you wouldn't be having difficulty. Well, he can't handle that because he believes uh, there is a faction, and it happens very, to my experience, with people who come from other 12-step programs that have to give something up. And they believe that sugar is the devil. I don't believe sugar is the devil. I don't believe it's necessarily good for me. And it killed all my teeth because I ate a lot of it. And I'm diabetic. But I don't think that sugar is the devil. And if you want to have sugar in your abstinence, that's your business. Because your abstinence is your business. Lucy's abstinence is my business because she bores me with it. But anyway. <laughs> um, so... I might say, what do you want to do about it? Or, what are the circumstances? Why don't you look at your life and see what is causing you to do this? And we have done that, and I have found out about his life. I don't want to trade lives with him. And um, I don't know if it's ever going to get him out of the sugar, but at least I'm listening. I think the neatest thing about sponsorship is that somebody listens. Somebody listens. I personally am old school. I come from the time when there was a pen and inkwell on the desk. So my granddaughter does things with computers. My son does things with computers that are baffling and crazy. But I do not think that emailing my food to somebody else is a good idea. I think talking to somebody. I think seeing people is important. I get into a lot of denial, a lot of denial, when I don't look my sponsor or my sponsees in the eye. I think it is very, very important. And I 
I'm delighted that there are all these computer meetings and online meetings and people all over the country. That Eastern group has got this wonderful wonder. They're all coming to the birthday party. Hundreds of people are coming from this uh, online meeting. But I still think that I, what a loner I was. How I sat by myself. In my day, it was the radio. To the point that I worked in radio for 20 years. I so loved it. Uh, mine was the radio. And I think it is the biggest thing is I went to a meeting. I did not love everybody at the meeting. I didn't like everybody at the meeting. But I went through the numbers. I even acted as if I might like them just because it was important for me to be there, feel comfortable to be there, and to talk to people. Because I have a disease that will kill me if some, nobody calls me on it. I hope I answered your question. If not, it felt good to talk anyway. Anyone else want to try it? I'm good. Are you good? I think it's great. All right. Thank you very much.